Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today's guest is someone who, it's very unique to have this person on my show. They're probably my first really content creator since we've opened this up. He is someone who is a major content creator for Overwatch League. He has a YouTube channel called Your Overwatch with a couple other people. Please let me introduce someone who will probably be one of the only people who is never, ever aimed, named on the show, Frito. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? It's good to have you. I'm excited. I want to talk to you about whatever we're we're going to get into. Yeah, whatever we're going to get into. So uh, I, I'm super interested. There's not a ton out you, and you kind of do a pretty good job of keeping your personal life separate, uh, which I think is good in a lot of ways. Uh, so there's not a lot about who who are you as an individual. Everyone knows your Overwatch because your Overwatch is probably one of the staple content uh, I, content create. I don't know. It's weird saying content creators, but you guys as a group are one of the staple content creators for Overwatch League. And so everyone knows that name, but I don't think people really see the faces behind it because even in your videos, a lot of times there's some older ones where you do on camera, work, but a lot of them don't involve your camera. So I think it's going to be really fun to get you on the show. Um, and talk to you about you and your life. There was some things that I was able to pull out watching some of your videos that I think are going to be interesting questions for me to ask. Um, so I'm going to start it off uh, fairly easy. Um, one of the things about you that I think is so unique out there, and something I want to kind of talk about, is the fact that you actually don't use your name anywhere. In fact, you kind of avoid having your name out there. Um, and I, I know that when I talked to Dividing by Zero, he was kind of in the same boat. Like, I don't really want my name out there a whole ton. Um, what's your reason for not uh, utilizing your name out there, especially being such a, uh, I would say, a big public figure in, like, the Overwatch scene? Well, I think you just said it. So being Becoming a big figure is a, big, a good reason to uh, want to stay anonymous with things. But also, it just doesn't really matter to the content. I think... The way I would swing this conversation, this uh, question to be more uh, useful, I think, to um, things people care about is like the content we make yeah. is we make a deliberate attempt to let it speak for itself, I guess, is kind of the point. So I, I really like that, you know, your Overwatch has a brand and your Overwatch has a reputation and the creators on it are more so almost like contributors or writers to it. It's a very different way to run a YouTube channel. And yeah. all that is very deliberate. And I mean, no matter what, I'm a very passionate guy. So character shows through in, in the videos. And you probably know if uh, a viewer were to watch a lot, would eventually understand like what drives me as a, as a person, as a character. But it is more of a persona than a person it's not like mm -hmm. oh this is a vlog channel and you know this is my apartment and it's not me hanging out right it's it's very um it, it, we attempt to craft a product for someone to enjoy and something that like you know you could use like you think of like design aesthetics yeah. you look at like an apple product you don't see necessarily like this is steve jobs it's like apple itself then steve jobs is over here on his side and he has all his crazy ideas of how to yeah. like communicate with that product to the consumer. And I guess that that's sort of what a your Overwatch video ideally does. Like it, it it's directed towards the user and they interact with the video, not necessarily so much the person making it, but you know, you, you'd hope you're interesting enough that people care about the person too. But I think this is a strategy. If you don't have a good personality or you're not very interesting, like you could, anyone could replicate this if you're good at making content. You know what I mean? Like we're not as, uh, we stream a bit, but like, I, I think our strengths are more so in, in creating content and writing it and, and putting ideas uh, together. Um, I don't actually script. So I said writing, but that doesn't really uh, count for me. But um, cra crafting something, I think. Yeah. So there's a pretty long answer for you. 
No, I, I kind of like that. Uh, so looking at their making this product, when you guys first started your Overwatch, I just want to kind of briefly hit on this, and we'll probably come back to it later too. Was the intention to stay as almost as anonymous as possible and just let it be about the content? Was that your guys' intention going in? Because you have a you have a trifecta group here. Um, you have Eddie, Weagle, is that how you say his name? Weagle? Uh, and then yeah. you. Um, so you have a trifecta yeah. group here. Uh, that kind of runs everything. Did you guys kind of go into this thinking this is like, was it like a business plan or an idea or was it just a group of friends who was like, let's just make some content? Well, it, it's kind of both actually. And it, it gets into what I was talking about earlier where we've over the years, well, there's a few ways of starting Overwatch. So I guess I'll, I'll get into that story and then sort of explain why we ended up making the decisions we did. But we were gamer friends for a long time and um, particularly we did Call of Duty videos, which I have since sort of, uh, privated on my channel, which I'm like, I kind of wanted to start a, a fresh start with uh, YouTube. Um, you probably can find the other guy's personal content mm -hmm. out there somewhere. Uh, uh, um, making in the Call of Duty community, and YouTube is a very different place years ago. And it's yeah. sort of, I'm sort of the boomer generation along with them too, where we still remember when the homepage was based purely on likes and favorites and views where you know a guy in the call of duty community could just flood the home page and youtube was like we're not going to do this anymore we want like brand friendly like jimmy kimmel yeah. on the front page right so they redesigned all of that because of like the cod community and gamers and they've always had this like pushing gamers off to the side but then they were so big that they sort of had to let them in it was really weird how that ended up uh, evolving but through all of that and experience and being on youtube for a long time you talk to a lot of uh old head content creators you know i i watched a ton of different content over the years played a ton of different games um some influences i would say of mine would be like war l from csgo day nine from starcraft husky starcraft and casting and uh of that game and obviously call of duty there's hundreds of creators way more creators in call of duty uh, oddly enough there's like everyone wanted to be a commentator in that scene but anyway mm -hmm. and we were three of those in the group of like everybody does this uh, um i say everybody but you know a lot of people do it and through that, I don't know if you're familiar with like the likes of T. Martin. Um, he's a very controversial figure, right? Like he's like a guy who maybe you would say he's sort of like the your Overwatch of Call of Duty back in the day, mm -hmm. where he covered a lot of the like you know updates and news and and stuff like that. Which we didn't set out to do news on our channel, but it sort of grew to do that as well. But in any case, we saw a guy like him get too full of his own ego and his own self-confidence and made some mistakes along the way, which he's since um, paid for somewhat, you know, with the, the CSGO betting skin scan. Hey, I found this website like, it, it, you know, yeah, whatever. We've seen a lot of careers rise and fall, essentially, based upon uh, ego, essentially getting into it. And that that's something that we distinctly when we decided to create the channel together as a team, we distinctly wanted to again, make a product and keep ourselves out of it somewhat. Like, like there's yeah. no way that you can't see who's making it, but you know what I mean? Like, we're not um, telling you about our personal lives or whining about what's going on with us. Instead, we kind of stick to the game and stick to um, things that are relevant. And that takes some discipline, really, it, yeah. and um, restraint. And sometimes, you you know, if the game's driving you crazy, like a streamer, right? If the, the game's driving a streamer crazy, they're just might fly off the handle and start screaming or get emotional or or whatever you know i see this with my friends or um uh, other yeah. streamers that i watch that that like creating content it's often a very um arduous and uh <laughs> i mean staring at a computer screen is not good for you there's a lot of um emotional and physical tolls it takes on you uh, creating content yeah. but 
so anyway, so we wanted to avoid all, all of that and try to just create like a hub that, you know, would provide clear, um, professional-esque content. Like it's, it's, it's was treated somewhat of, of like a business from the start. I mean, we had no idea it was going to be successful at all. It was, it was yeah. just something that we like, I was like, Hey, this is this Overwatch game. I think it's pretty cool. Um, part of the reason, like I, I'm the one who uh, wanted to start it. I uh, invented the name your Overwatch. This was actually before they had play Overwatch as the Twitter. Some people think like, Oh, you're just trying to do that. No, it was like the idea of that is this channel will be the community's Overwatch. Yeah. Cause like Overwatch is like a, that's sort of the plan words with that. Um, but I also, I'm a very abrasive, uh, angry personality sometimes. So I wanted my friends to kind of, um, flesh that out. Right. So like Eddie's a bit more, a much more personal person, uh, I'm more analytical, but also rough around the edges sometimes. And I, I know that grates on people. So having a mix of cast of characters um, was the idea to try to like, well, if you don't like one of us, maybe you like another one. And, and the content can like spread its wings and have have a lot of different ways to go about it. Now, they're off doing other things right now. When new updates and big things come out, they do come on the channel. But it is just me now um, making content, unfortunately. But um, that's more on like the state of the game and where it's at and how much content we think it needs to uh, be yeah. made or what even people are interested in. And so they like, they came back for BlizzCon and made a couple videos on the channel, but um, we're still a group which they just do other things um, until further notice. And I'm sort of the overwatch guy. So okay, that's my life I mean, story. That's how that's, we oh, we're, not, we're, we're not even into your life story. That's where we're going to hop to next. So that's I'm the a, important part of the life. Story. Oh no, no. See, everyone, <laughs> no, thinks, okay, that, everyone thinks that that is the important part. Like it's what got you there that is kind of what's important to me. And so one of the cool things that I found out about you is that you are somewhat of a huge Green Bay Packers fan. Um, at least you have Green Bay Packers attire So on one of your videos. Unless that is you are not a Green Bay Packers fan and you weirdly have Green Bay Packers stuff, in which case that is just awkward. So my question. So, oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, I, I, am, I am a fan. But, like, the re- I haven't watched – uh, for a while, yeah. except this season. So, like, uh, there was years where I haven't watched because I was too busy covering games, yeah. doing Overwatch, which, as I said, takes uh, an insane amount of... Honestly, the thing about YouTube, like, this is the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Like, I've had a lot of jobs from various different, like, areas. Uh, mm-hmm. By far, this is the hardest one that I've ever done, and mainly because you work at your own pace, and because of yes. that, in order to continue to be better, if you want to be better... Um, you know, there's no limit to how much you can criticize. This is kind of screwed with my uh, psychology and how I operate as a human being. Um, like, like uh, past few days of struggle, struggled sleeping because I just like lay in bed, start relaxing, and then my brain starts like coming yep. up with ideas and stuff. And it's it's a terrible uh, thing that is it, it's hard to fight. It's hard for me to like relax at anything. But anyway, Packers. Um, when I was younger, uh, in like high school, I would say like football was sort of my first love like i love video games too mm-hmm. but my career path starting out i was kind of hoping to be a sports journalist or work in sports somehow i was never good enough to play like i played f- high school football our team was terrible yeah. uh, i eventually got the start but like i worked really hard at it and i loved the environment um i love that sport and i watched the packers re- a lot for years um but then when i got into doing this full-time as well as um just playing games, watching the Overwatch League, you know, things like that. I just didn't have time to watch. But because things have slowed down a little bit with the pace of how uh, much we work, I have watched this season of the Packers, which they, we just got a new coach and the, the team's like 
um, amazing. So it looks like I'm a Fairweather fan, but I I didn't know they were going to be good because they've been bad the past few years. And I just wanted to see, like, you know, maybe this is the last couple seasons for Aaron Rodgers to play. And I want to see what a, a new coach does. A lot of my analytical thinking comes from football, basically, yeah. like how I break things down and, and also sort of my aggressive speech pattern it, it's very so so i was going to ask you not to cut you off but you're are... you're going to go on this forever and i want to i want to ask you a question are you a green bay packers fan who actually lived in the like midwest area or are you like a transplant green bay packers fan? because uh, i grew up in michigan uh which is very close to the green bay packers um Actually, I was six hours away from Green Bay. Uh, and one of the, the cool things about living in Michigan is that, like, you basically had people who were either Lions fans or they were Green Bay Packers fans. Uh, and then the people who are Green Bay Packers fans, who I always get judged by the people who are Lions because we live in Michigan. And they're like, wow, you're just a traitor who's living in Michigan. So we used to call them, like, transplants. So were you a transplant who was uh, from somewhere else, or were, did you grow up in the Midwest somewhere? No, I'm from Milwaukee. So, okay. um, big Packer town. My grandfather liked, um, the Packers, like probably more than I do now. Um, so I, I just thought it was kind of cool because like my father wasn't really into sports at all. Like he's more of, um, a tinkerer, I guess, like a worksman, like he, like he'll tinker with stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, does that kind of work with his hands. I suck at that stuff. I like the opposite. So I'm into like sports and video games. He's into that. But anyway, so like, I, I thought it was cool that like, once I realized my grandfather would watch the games and stuff, I, you know, watching grown men smash each other's faces in, I thought it was pretty awesome. And, <laughs> and then you, hear, you start to learn about like the Packers history and they won the first mm-hmm. Super Bowl. And there's, there's, it's very easy to get swept up in that. And um, that was sort of a, a pillar of my life for sure. So, mm-hmm. so Home, hometown as well as family members introduced me to it. Okay. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Wisconsin is a very interesting place of how cold it is. Um, in general or the midwest in general is like weirdly cold um uh were you someone who likes the cold or are you someone who is like fuck this shit i'm tired i moved to florida recently because i was like fuck this shit i'm done with it but yeah i can't really take too much heat luckily we're have an abundance of air conditioning no matter where you go so even if i go to la like i'm inside and there's there's ac but i don't mind it cooler i guess so it works out for me i'm I'm very warm all the time so like essentially so um that's good if you have a significant other my wife loves to cuddle up next to me because i I generate so much heat Uh, (laughs) it's probably the only reason why why we're together but um yeah so (laughs) i i prefer it probably on the cooler side I, i don't mind Okay. Also, so I don't go outside. So if you never go outside, then you don't have to worry about the cold. So that's kind of true. I have missing fingers because I got into a snowblower accident when I was a kid. And so whenever it would snow, um, it would hurt. And that was like the biggest thing like I, I noticed is like when it snows or when it rains, which if you live in Michigan, it snows and rains like 10 months out of the fucking year. So it was like this. I'm tired of just being in pain, but I also don't go outside. So that's why it doesn't matter that I live in Florida. It's a little bit too warm. Like if I go outside, I'm going to sweat. But it's uh, really muggy in Florida. I went there to is. go to Disney World once. Like I, you just get out of the airport and it's like, well, I'm in a swamp. Like what is yeah. this? <laughs> or a sauna. It reminds me of a sauna. Yeah, that yeah, is, yeah. That is like yeah, the best way exactly. to kind of describe it. Um, so, but I mean, we couldn't get perfect LA weather, which is always perfect when I lived there for a while. Um, so you grew up in, uh, you said Milwaukee. Um, can I ask you how old you are? Because I don't think anyone knows. And I don't know. It's really hard to tell how old you are if you're older than me or if you're younger than me. So I'm almost 30. I'll put that in perspective. Okay. So I think I look easily mid-30s, but I'm only 29. 
So okay. I, I, we're about the same age. The year, the age of uh, what's it? The experience of life yeah. wore heavily on me. <laughs> I okay. used to have hair, for example. Um, I, I, I wasn't like sure I if that like was a conscious than. choice or not. Like some people just like to rock the bald look. Uh, so I wasn't sure. It's sort of going. So now, now I do that. I actually like my hairstyle now. Yeah. Uh, being bald, it, it's very freeing and. <laughs> uh, it it does like get you stopped at airport security because you look like one of those you know a biker I, gang. I, I look you look like you belong like a in white terrorist, basically. Oh, yeah. I look like I'm in some some prison gang, but uh, with glasses. But um, yeah, because that literally did happen to me. Like the first time I was going through airport security, I got stopped, and I'm like, "Am I being discriminated against?" I bet I am. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. so so we're about the same age then. So that means we probably had a lot of like similar life experiences as far as things. That, you're you're a couple. I'm 27. I'll be 28 in January. So we're like right on the cusp there. Um, so kind of looking at growing up, you mentioned that your dad was a, a tinkerer. Um, is that what he did for like a job? Was he doing a lot of like uh, craftsman things, like carpentry and stuff like that? Uh, he did a lot of different jobs, but he was like a maintenance guy. Mm -hmm. Essentially, is the shortest way to say it. Um, heating, venting. And air conditioning. It's called HVAC. Mm -hmm. That's what he did. Interesting. So what did your mom do then? She was a stay-at-home mom. Okay. okay. Family story is more interesting than that, though, because I actually was adopted. So I don't know my real-life really? uh, uh, biological parents. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I was adopted when I was five. So. Wow, that's actually like fairly old in the adoption as far as like age groups. A lot of times people get adopted as babies. You don't hear about a lot of people who get adopted at like the age of five and stuff. Oh, that's when it finished, actually. So okay. um, I, I, I don't I don't remember. I was in probably some different um, areas, but it, it mostly it was with who eventually became my parents. So, mm -hmm. it, yeah, sorry, that may have thrown you off a little bit. But mm -hmm. yeah, I was with them at a fairly, fairly young age, so it wasn't like a big transition or anything. Mm -hmm. So, but it is you weird though growing up that way for sure. Yeah, yeah. What made it kind of weird though? Because that's uh, something that's very unique, at least. Well, um, the very first easy awkward stage is like um, in school they'll have you make a family tree, and it's like, oh, which family member do you look like? Well, <laughs> it turns out <laughs> like um, we look kind of similar anyway because people from the same region. Yeah, I have similar ethnicity and, and I mean, Milwaukee is an odd place where it's segregated yeah. now based on race, but it, it used to be segregated on Polish and German. Mm -hmm. So there's like a very now it's like the Caucasian, Hispanic and black areas of yeah. the city. It used to be German, Polish and, you know, Ang or whatever the next one would be. Who, who cares? But um so because of that, like a lot of people look similar here anyway, because there's only a handful of um, um, types of yeah. people really uh, that predominantly uh, filled it. But um, so there's that. And then there's also um, they chose to tell me pretty early on, which I appreciated um, definitely. But you also realize like, for example, when a father is raising a child, you might realize there's something about you that just like connects and they're the same like i don't yeah. know like they there's so there's mannerisms that you pick up there's there's a nature versus nurture argument there right and yeah. when you don't have that nature side of things there's just ways that it shows i guess mm -hmm. when you're not biologically related but um so growing up i always knew that and also like i don't know how to really get to this point like we don't get along great now okay. and there's like some family issues and 
Um, I don't, I don't mind getting into it, but it's just sort of like in the weeds, right? Like I would, yeah. I pretty much would just gloss over it as like white trash problems that, um, <laughs> like I, I could speak to them and stuff. We just, we don't speak that often and there's been, uh, some conflicts back and forth. So, yeah. um, with how some things were handled in the family household. And I kind of went off and did my own thing and, and try to improve myself. And I felt like they were handling things in a, um, sort of stuck in their ways mentality. And now I'm off doing this. And I, like, I went to school and went off and started my life. So it, it's not like violently opposed or anything, but that could be a whole nother podcast. Probably the <laughs> trials and tribulations of, of, uh, white trash, uh, family problems, but <laughs> So when you when you mention like this white trash, do you mean just like lower income, or do you mean living in like trailer park? Like, wh what is the definition of like uh, like stereotypical white white trash for you? Because I uh, I've seen a lot of different things. Because I actually used to work in mental health too, um, and I used to work with a lot of different low income uh, people, and a lot of times they would get labeled. But it looks very different depending on who you're asking. So what 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 did it look like for you? Yeah, luckily I wouldn't say, uh, or I couldn't I can't say that I grew up from like. We were we were lower middle class. My dad had a blue collar job, so like it, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't rough. We weren't starving and stuff. But like, I feel when I, it's hard for because whenever I talk to people, especially now that um I'm in gaming, like I'll talk to a lot of people that I just sort of maybe assumed when I was younger that most people grew up like that, and then yeah. like either middle or lower. Um, I always knew that there was like suburbs and stuff where people had you know these huge houses and and, yeah. and whatever, but. Um, so I knew there was like a difference there, but I, anyway, it surprised me how many people don't relate to this, but when you're, um, related to people, so like we might be middle-class, but like we might have family members that are, are lower or you're just in proximity yeah. to a bunch of nonsense, basically. Like th that's one pr problem with, um, living in a low income area, right? Some reason yeah. why a lot of people don't want it. Cause like, there's a lot of great people living in the ghetto, but there's also just a bunch of drug dealers and, you know, people up to no good that ruin yeah. it for everybody else. So, like, that's sort of what I mean when I say, like, um, it, it, okay. it, an interconnected circle of, of uh, unhealthy individuals. To, yeah. Un, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So kind of looking at that uh, growing up, what did that kind of mean for like you as your life? So like was school something that was like super important then? Was that something that kind of got pushed on you is like a way of getting out because you're in this this area? Because I think that's what a lot of people do. I remember uh, I, one of it, my family, one of them was extremely wealthy because my parents split up when I was very young. Um, and my dad was actually very, very, very poor because he ended up having a brain tumor and had to stop working um, to the point where like a, a church was like giving us food and stuff like it. So I got to see a very unique, like what does it look like when someone has a lot of money and how do they respect and care about people versus what does it feel like when you literally can afford nothing? Um, and it gave me a very unique perspective on things. I chose to live with my dad actually, which was just FYI out there for people. Uh, it was much nicer to live in the place that didn't have money than the place that did because of the people who were involved there. But it kind of gives you a unique, pers unique perspective of like, how do I get out? Cause I don't ever want to be here. Cause I know that I had that thought, like I, this idea of needing like to escape from this kind of like lifestyle is definitely there. Did you have kind of thoughts like that? Like, how do I get out of here? How do I move on with my life to avoid this type of area? Well, luckily, um, I would say there's a lot of good things I can say about my parents too. And this would be one of them. They, kind of um imparted on me the the drive to not be a loser <laughs> essentially <laughs> like there's many ways you could screw up your life and uh, you know don't do that so i kind of 
coasted through school and didn't really have a plan ever, ever, um, mm-hmm. which is bad. And I just I'm not really a planning person. I'm more of a like a decisive do do things and um, creative free person, which is sort yeah. of why I'm in the position I'm in now. But I didn't really know what I was going to do after high school. But like I took harder classes. But if I think about my motivation to do so, it was mostly because like the school I was in, if you were in normal classes, I mean, it's got like a 50 percent dropout rate. And this is something I remember from middle school where the teachers in middle school were telling us that when you go to high school, 50 percent of you are going to drop out. And I'm like, this is just a weird thing to tell a child. I remember thinking as a child, this is a weird thing to tell a 12 year old or whatever. And So when I went there, like there's if if you weren't going to be a loser, you probably were in honors classes like that was like real school. And the other ones were like it's just a, a zoo, basically, like it's just just a big mess um, where not a lot of learning was going on. So I at least applied myself that way. I wish I would have actually tried because if you actually try in school, the scholarships you can get is amazing. And yeah. I didn't do that. I, I you know, did did pretty much the minimum work. I hated school in a lot of ways because you have to be conformist. You have to follow their rules. And I'm um, more of an out of the box thinker, which is very good in many ways, but it's not good if, if you're, if you need to, here's a task, complete it to the T don't ask questions, shut up and just do the thing. Um, Which is what most normal jobs in school asks of you to do. So anyway, I was kind of on that route and then, um, I was very lucky, lucky to have some high school teachers that I, I looked up to that I thought were um, either interesting or inspired mm-hmm. me to be a better person. And one of them went to a university that I ended, ended up going to. Very expensive. Sort of ruined the next 10 years of my life or so uh, while I had to pay off student debt because, as I said, didn't get along with mom and dad too well. So I went to this expensive university. It's Marquette in Milwaukee. Okay. And... Um, very expensive tuition, it is. Just loaded up on, on student debt. Um, I, I don't know if I would have done it again. Cause it's like, um, it brought me where I'm now. Like the education was great, but I, I think education needs to be looked at in a different way. And I could go on a different rant about that. Like, a lot I, of I'm things okay, you could learn from I'm okay with school. this rant. Cause I went to Michigan tech and Michigan tech is the most expensive, like public school like one of the most expensive public schools in the nation. So I feel you on the massive amounts of student loan debt that I have. And I'm just like, this is awful. I wish I wouldn't have been an idiot when I was 18. Maybe would have just went to community college for two years, would have been kind of nice and then transferred. Like that in Mm -hmm. itself is an ingenious thing that I wish I would have known that would have literally saved me at least $25,000. So 25, huh? At, at, at least that sounds like a big number no i'm just i'm teasing my mine ended up being way more than that but yeah. um yeah uh, for two years my, my 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 total school student debt is like 120 i think or something like that it's oh insane. okay 25 a year yeah. okay that, that makes it, more sense yeah, yeah. so uh yeah well, well, luckily, so like yeah there are some grants and stuff you can lean on but if you went if you were smart in high school you could get scholarships that just like yes that's, that's what you should do if, if i had a kid now i'd just be like Either you shouldn't go to school, which is fine. There's ways yeah. to, to do other things or do this for real and get scholarships because why would anyone pay for this or get student loans? It's a really bad idea, I think. Anyway, education was great, but I got uh, I kind of bounced around different degrees. I thought I wanted to go in for psychology. Uh, I could say why I got out of that. Uh, one reason why I think it gets misused in some ways and there's mm-hmm. some quackery in it, uh, which 
why it's important that there's people in there that are trying to legitimize it um, and try to treat it like a hard science instead of a yeah. loose, like subjective soft science. But also stats was just too hard of a class. <laughs> like learning stats is uh, an incredible undertaking and it was just too much math for me. So I switched out to do broadcasting and English writing as a double major and then found out that there was no way I was going to get a job in Milwaukee ever. And not just in those fields, but after I graduated, obviously, not just in those fields, but in um, in any job. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really struggled to get any employment after school because I was overqualified at that point. Now, when you have these big degrees and you're like, I couldn't get hired at McDonald's. So I had a really rough time bouncing from job to job, trying to figure out what I was going to do at this stage of my life, saddled with all this student debt. Mm -hmm. And it, that, it it was horrible. It was really, really horrible. I mean. It was horrible, but in some ways I was happier than I have been in years past doing this job. So like, you know, yeah. you never know. The grass is always greener on the other side. Like it, working hard jobs and having no responsibilities and making a little money, but being free to do whatever you want and, you know, having a lot of leisure time, that has way more value than I think people realize. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're essentially running your own business, then like you're just a, a slave to that constantly and it, it consumes you in a way that you just can't imagine until you're doing it. So anyway, I can't really complain about any of this, but um, I I definitely would have made some different choices if I had the opportunity to, but it, it all worked out in the end. So I kind of want to delve into that a little bit. Uh, you're, you're going through uh, high school, right? Uh, you're doing the bare minimum, you said. Um, you mentioned that you were kind of involved in some sports. Uh, you, you were a starter of your football team. Uh, you're getting close to, to, to graduating. What made you want to go to college to begin with? Like, What was the idea behind, oh, I want to go to college and I want to what eventually made you decide I want to go for psychology? I do have a degree in psychology. I will say that. Yeah. Just throw that out there. Yeah, I, I assumed so. Yeah. No. Um, you would need to to do the the job you do. I I would hope. I'd hope. I'd hope you technically to. technically uh, you don't. But that gives me on a long. Run. It's also why I yell at a bunch of people um, for calling themselves like psychologists. Because uh, in order to call yourself a psychologist, you actually have to be a doctor and licensed in whatever state you're working in. Um, technically, do my job, you don't need a degree. Um, I went with a degree route because I actually wanted to be a therapist for a while. And then I realized you can't actually do, I wouldn't be able to do therapy with anyone who I actually like to work with. Um, because the way that the laws work for therapy, you can't do uh, telehealth therapy, so like over like Skype or anything. So I couldn't actually work with any video gamers. And every single state has individual licensing that doesn't offer reciprocity. So if I got licensed in Michigan, Michigan, um, if I wanted to work with a gamer in Wisconsin and do therapy, legally I can't. I can do coaching, I can do mental coaching, but I cannot do therapy with them. Same thing with California. It's why there's a huge issue in esports with like therapists and psychologists that I will not bore you to death with, but it's a huge issue that I complain about all the time. So, but yeah. Yeah, weird regulations. Those are always fun to dance around. I, I can't remember what I'm responding to at this point. What are we oh. talking about? Oh, I was high, why are you going to college? Yeah, what made you go to college and what made you pick psychology? Well, um, based upon, I mean, psychology is a fascinating subject in any case. I, mean, I had a pretty cool psych, psych professor. Also, um, my biological mother was a paranoid schizophrenic, which I found out, you know, early early on. I kind of knew that, that um, which always makes me wor worry that, like, I'm going to break out into some beautiful mind stuff. But... Um, Luckily, none of that has cropped up so far, but um, she had her problems. Uh, funny. Okay, so this is all I know about my biological mother. She was 
in a girl group rock band. You can imagine what that was like in the early 90s or like late 80s, early yeah. 90s. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I imagine something either between um, Heart and maybe Nirvana, like mixed together, maybe or something like that. So she was in a, a girl rocker band, but obviously did a lot of uh, drugs and had a one night stand, which eventually became me um and was schizophrenic and and whatever and i don't know any more than that but so i always had that as sort of a history and then just being really interested in how people operate and mm -hmm. through school i was sort of the guy who a lot of people felt comfortable speaking to about things so it felt like a natural thing like you know doing therapy it felt like to some degree i'd already done it to with friends at least yeah you know the principle of it anyway yes. not like it, professionally but so i thought that was something to, i wanted to talk to people and help them through problems and basically um do that and then i found out there's a bunch of other things saddled with psych i nearly finished my psych degree but um at least the psych classes you know obviously you have to do a bunch of other classes and stuff um i i nearly finished it but then i i decided i didn't want to go to grad school which you had to do um anyway why did i go to school originally my girlfriend at the time who eventually became my wife was going to go there they have a really good accounting program she was, she's more the planner of like okay this is what i want to do we want to you know yeah do that she, she went for accounting and and now she works as an accountant to this day which all worked out but um there's that and then also i had an english teacher i thought that was like really cool and um just kind of inspired me in a lot of ways he went to marquette so I, that was another reason why i thought i'd go and not a lot of people get get accepted as well. So like, I didn't know if I was going to get accepted or not. My so like my grade point average in high school wasn't too bad. But again, like the even the honors classes weren't that hard. Yeah. So having like a three point seven five or something or three point six or whatever it was isn't that impressive, really. Um, and then my I can't remember this is years and years ago, but is it a ACT? I think we do here. The scores I got on that weren't impressive and got like a 19 at 21 and i think it goes mm -hmm. up to like 36 but my writing section or do they call it communications or whatever yeah. that i scored in like the top is it 97 percentile like i don't know like the top three percent so like really really high in that but yeah. everything else was like bad that so there's multiple stages of my life where like communication is the only thing you know how to do, Frito. So maybe you probably should go into something that's like that. So that, that that's why I've always sort of geared in the in that wheelhouse of, mm -hmm. of communication and uh, creativity a bit as well. It, it isn't something I would ever advise anyone to do, though, because doing real work that has like tangible value to someone always is easier to um, yeah. find work in rather than. Oh, I'm gonna express myself. It's like, oh yeah, every, everybody wants to do that. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, I could 100 percent agree with you uh, there. Which was my yes. thought process when I went for psych. I was like, all right, I'm gonna get some real skills that I can apply. And then I, a lot of people go for psych, and I, I, I don't even know what the job prospects are. Another thing that I would change about my life is finding out, like, at the time, what you really should do is figure out what jobs are needed. Like, I probably couldn't do this. But engineering is like one that if you want to succeed, like just yeah. be an engineer or a doctor or something like that, like do something people need. My girlfriend's an engineer. So uh, great. Yeah, that was I was like, you know what? 
gotta have someone in the life who is uh, actually smart and not me. So, for a psych degree. So, um, but yeah, so kind of looking at that, I do agree that psych is, finding the applicable uses for psych is really hard, and most of the time you do have to go for higher education, which is what my plan was. I actually started my master's. I actually got halfway through with my master's before I stopped. Um, so I was on that route. Um, but kind of looking at that, one of the some of the other jobs you do is like human resources and human factor stuff and research. A lot of it, though, um, you actually kind of touched on this a little bit, is like one of the reasons you left is that you didn't like something about psychology. What was it that you didn't like that made you say, besides the statistics, what was the, the aspect of it where you were like, oh, there's not really a way to like implement this and there's a lot of stuff you don't like about psych? What was that aspect? Well, so um, if you look to other fields that are called hard sciences, yep. hard sciences, they have hard and fast rules of yep. what um, is acceptable research, which, yep. what is acceptable conclusions, and it's very rigorous and very hard to conclude anything in those sciences. Whereas in psych, they do try their best, and there's many people who, who um, are doing great work, I'm sure, and it is related to the stats class actually as well, because really, when you find out how stats work, it's much easier to misuse any data than it is to use it properly. Like to actually tease out truth from, you know, uh, whatever type of study you want to yep. do in psychology, as you know, and probably could explain better than I can at this point, there's many different ways to do like, I think they're called multi-factor analysis or yes. am yep. I saying that right? Yep. Yep. Um, you are. Uh, right. To like, find out whatever you're trying you know we're gonna have a control to, group to have, have a, to have a very it, strong correlation i don't think most psychology you i don't i can't think of anything that is actually this equals this for literally almost anything because it's all population studies um right like almost all of it so you never have oh if you do this you will get this like any other hard science does um, and right. so what you do is you try to say, this will most likely get this. And you do multi-factor analysis to say, this is, uh, this is actually correlated to this fact, um, rather than just something that is a random variable. But yeah. Yes. But it also is very easy to bullshit these things, exactly. which is why you see so many news articles yes. of like, you know, whatever, just, you can imagine them. I don't even have to name any, but I, yeah. I, none come to mind at the moment, but there's just, there's, there's this new finding that's like, well, chocolate's great for you. It helps you do this. Chocolate depresses you. Cho you know what I mean? It's like whatever, yeah. whatever it is. And usually there's money behind that where some company makes some sham uh, study that comes up. There was a lot of bullshit and, and uh, manipulation, which really turned me off. Also, so there's that aspect of it. And then I feel that in school, you spend way too much time learning about things, ideas that we no longer respect. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, well, here, here's like Freud. Freud. And let's spend like a week on Freud. It's like, well, Freud was full of shit. <laughs> like, oh, great. Oh. Thanks. Why, why do I have to know all of this, really? Like, that, that, so again, I don't like my time being wasted. I, I don't like uh, BS. Um, so again, there's greatness there, but it, it was, there's so much more away from just mm -hmm. like, I just want to talk to people and help them solve things. Yeah. And there, there's way too much pomp and circumstance that uh, has a, a self-inflated um, nonsense uh, s surrounding it. That's, I think clouds its ability to do actual great things. So yeah, but mostly I had to drop, drop it, I think, because I'm like, I don't know if I can physically, because like, if I had to work as a research assistant or something, I think I would just crack under the pressure. I, I don't I don't think I can handle the math and the responsibility of it as well, because I actually want to do good. And to do that, you would have to be 
the math is just incredible what you have yeah. to do in order to actually find something out meaningful. And I, I'm like, I, I, that's not what I want to do. So anyway, <laughs> that's, that, that's kind of cool. So you, you said you made it through almost all of your psych degree before you decided to switch. Was that like a hard decision being like, Oh, I've basically done this. You mentioned already that Marquette was super expensive. Um, so that means you're switching, which means you're adding more time, which means in effect more dollars. What was that decision coming to you being like, I'm almost done with this, but I'm going to actually still switch. So you're straining the old man's memory here. This was years ago. So I have to over 10. Wait, that's okay. You can yeah. take your time uh, too. Um, that's okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm so the way it panned out, I, I did graduate in four years. I had to take some summer classes for sure mm-hmm. in order to catch up. But luckily a lot of the what's considered core um, yeah. studies transferred over. Oh, so wow. a lot of things wow. transferred oddly enough. And then um at least like, for example, when you're in similar, okay, so there's like schools in a university and each school yeah. kind of has runs its own thing. And in each school, they probably have a, a list of other classes that you have to take at Marquette. It's a Jesuit university. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not religious at all, by the way, I'm like very anti-religious, but open to other ideas and seeing other perspectives. Um, so they, they make you take like uh, religious study and philosophy as well, like the Greeks and uh, everything in between um, from then until now. So a lot of those classes transfer over anyway. And realistically, is another thing in your first in, as an undergraduate of psychology, I don't know how it was for you, but like beyond stats, there wasn't really anything practical that may, maybe if I continued down, there was a couple things, but there wasn't many practical classes that would like relate to talk therapy or anything like that stuff you would get into in grad school, right? Where all the foundations of, of I had learned, a, I so. had a few, but I had a professor who very specifically wanted us to actually learn that stuff beforehand because he thought most of the stuff that was taught in our um, like core curriculum was garbage. And so and he actually he was okay, the warden. <laughs> he was actually the warden of the prison in Wisconsin for a while that had Jeffrey Dahmer, and Jeffrey Dahmer actually died when he was the warden. He got murdered because he refused. Uh, like I know he was a great. Pr- he actually, believe it or not, he went to the Jesuit school, the same one you went to. He actually went to University of uh, of Marquette, and he actually had a double major. He had, he had like something. He had like an engineering degree, and he had like a doctorate in like social work. The dude was a genius. So. That's crazy, dude. I, know. I mean, Dahmer's house. Um, when I went to school there, it was only—it's only like a couple blocks away from from the, that neighborhood. Like, uh, yeah. so it's kind of freaky. Um, you threw me for a loop there. No, sorry. I forget. No, what, sorry. Uh, plot. What was I speaking about? <laughs> um, we were kind of going on uh, about like switching degrees and oh, how you got degrees, to that yeah. point. So luckily, I was able to buckle down and, and transfer over, but. Mm-hmm. I, I think the sticking points for me was I didn't want to go to grad school in order to like complete this journey yeah. because I was already going to be in so much debt. Like, I, I, I don't know if I wanted to double down on the debt. My camera's froze on a weird face. Okay, it's back. Um, oh, I, I didn't me. really want to double down on the crazy amounts of debt I was already going to take. That made me really nervous uh, to finish it. And also, I, I thought maybe I just wasn't smart enough to handle stats. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. like, this, this isn't my strength, you know, um, communication is so... You know, go into that. So, so what was what was the communication like when you finished it? Because you mentioned you couldn't find a job in Milwaukee. Like, you couldn't find a job there. What did you do? What did you do with your, de- your degree? Did you just say, oh, well, I'm not using this now. Like, you graduate. You don't have any job opportunities. Did you move? Did you think about moving? Well, 
Um, I worked a bunch of different jobs. You know, I, I was I was a driver in uh, when I attended school, which normally is a job they only did for students, but then they opened it up for um, others as well. Mm-hmm. So after graduating, then I, I worked that. And it had a pretty good wage. It's like you drive a van around the campus and help mm-hmm. like drunk kids get home safely and stuff like that. Like it's it's just a way for the the, the campus to remain safe and um, provide rides for people. So I did that for years. Um, I tried to be a salesman of uh, paper supplies for like a month, and that was like a soul uh, crushing experience because it involved like it was a business to business and it just another BS job where you had to like go up to a business owner and try to sell them your paper clips and pens and staplers and pencils and stuff like you need business supplies. Like some people could do it, but I feel that it required um, manipulation basically. Like you, you have to like be friendly with a stranger and yeah. trick them into buy. And I just couldn't do it. I physically could not do it. And um, I needed the money and it was just a terrible job. And, in many ways because you had to pay for your own gas and if you didn't sell on commission uh, you would make less than minimum wage so like i was losing money doing this job it was just terrible and i had to quit that um i was in great shape in high school and got in bad shape over the years of with stress and eating and college and uh not working out and, and et cetera, et cetera. so i i was in uh health Started the keto diet like a month ago and I've lost 20 pounds. Great. Congrats. Try the keto diet. If, I'm if you on want. it. I've been, I've been on it for but, almost a year. Actually, when I finished the glad yeah. season, I went on keto and I'm down from like 250 and I'm down to 177. Congrats. It's amazing, so. dude. I, I'm like in month two. So I lost 20 pounds so far, like instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so next next up. Anyway, but at that time, uh, I was heavier and out of shape. So I, but I'm like in my head, I'm used to being able to do physical activity. So I worked for FedEx for like a month and sucked at that as well. Not only could I like basically boxes come down a lane and you got to like Tetris these yeah. big boxes into their spaces and just fit it. And I just couldn't keep up. I was just winded. And it was in the cold as well because the trucks are like outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have asthma sometimes and it doesn't do so well in the cold if I'm if I'm being active and so like i was just just dying i couldn't work that job either and um so anyway i just like bounced from job to job and um i i don't think i was ever unemployed because uh i was always able to go to another job or Mm -hmm. or work multiple or something like that but um so yeah uh eventually i ended up in property management because i moved into an apartment um that needed a caretaker um as well uh, we actually we were looking at an apartment that we couldn't afford and that the the place needed a caretaker to like just clean up and stuff yeah. um essentially and so i was like yeah i mean that's great it's a great opportunity and then from that when the owner of that building who also owned a couple other buildings the manager he had was moving on to another job as well i moved up into that role so i was the property manager for a couple years um it was okay. Still not really my thing. Um, but during that time, uh, I also was building up YouTube and then eventually, um, maybe like a year into your overwatch or more a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, I switched over to doing YouTube full time. So, and it's been that way ever since. (laughs) So one thing I want to ask you about is you have a, it sounds like an amazing support in your life and that is your wife. And you actually met your wife before in high school. It sounds like, right? Yes. 
how did you manage to to find the one right off the bat? That's what I want to know. How did you find the one? I'm pretty sure mine's the one that I have now because um, we've been together five years now. But how did you, like, if you had to see people out there and be like, oh, you guys are getting into relationships, what would you recommend them to look for? Like, what is it that you think that you found that made it work for you and has made it so successful? Because you've been together longer than I would say most people in the country have been together, considering the divorce rate is something like 60, 60% or something like that now. Yeah, well, that number's a little um, skewed. Again, stats. I always try to look for the BS, but so if you, it's much lower if you don't count people who've been divorced multiple times. That's the trick because it's sixty percent among all marriages, but there's some crazy mofo's that are getting married and di divorced every other day. So the, like that I, drives up the stats. It um, might be fifty percent at second marriage. If you get married, you're more likely to get divorced the second time. It like okay, so if you get if you divorce the first time, your second marriage has like a seventy percent chance of divorcing, and your third marriage is something like eighty percent. It's actually insane. My dad has been divorced uh, two times so far, so. Uh, we're going to see if he gets married a third time, if the statistic holds up. But yes, it is. Uh, it's but something like that. against the numbers. Uh, in terms of um, finding a good partner, I think we had very similar goals coming up from uh, um, similar backgrounds in Milwaukee. Like, different yeah. for sure. But um, just wanting to improve our lives and, and have our heads on straight. Like, there's not many people that are like that. There's a lot you know, you go outside and just see random people on the street or or at school, right? A lot of them are looking to have a good time. They're looking to <laughs> not really enrich themselves or improve or, you know, improve their standing or put any work into anything. So um, it's rare to find someone who is, you know, going to gonna put in the work to be to be dedicated to improve, um, you know, a household essentially and, and be wife material. So uh, that's that's what I got in my lady. Um, it, it's definitely not perfect, though. I think I I definitely would not advise anyone to, to stay with one person that long. But because we did, we sort of have there's um, I wish I could remember the. Sort of maybe it's probably a psychologist as well that I found on YouTube at some point watching some clips, but mm -hmm. she's like a marriage counselor. And the way she would explain it is that you go through multiple relationships, even if you're in one relationship, yeah. um, normal people just say, okay, we're breaking up and then move on to another one. And the relationship you have with someone changes the dynamic. And maybe you go into this one with a different um, attitude or, or change it up. Um, we've had to do that, of course, um, to mature and grow and, and learn how to, how to develop um, each other and as a team and as individuals. Yeah. And it's, it's very difficult, especially when everybody's got their own baggage and their own weaknesses and their own, misgivings um it's definitely not been a fully um smooth sailing um but you know we've we've learned to improve and i think that's the number one thing to, to keep i think going, that's like so. super important to realize that you like you've been together so long and it hasn't been perfect but the thing that's always held out is you're always willing to work on it right and i feel i feel like a lot of people miss that is that guess what relationships aren't perfect it's through working on them and improving that they get to a point where it, it lasts a long time. And I think most people aren't actually willing to do that with actually a lot of things in life. Like things in life just kind of get hard or rough. And so what they do is they're just like, screw it, I'm done. It's easier to step away and do something else than to keep kind of plowing through. And sometimes you have to step away because what you're doing is stupid. Uh, but sometimes you need to figure out the the new approach for whatever it is you're doing in life and kind of make it work. So. 
I'm really happy about that. And I'm happy that your relationship is so longstanding and successful. It makes me feel good inside yep. and give me hope for the world. Because uh, I was really, really against uh, marriage for a long time. I, it's changing now. Uh, now that me and my girlfriend have been together for uh, quite a while. But because my parents had divorced so many times, I was like, fuck this shit, I'm done. I'm never going to do this. That is changing now. Yeah, unfortunately, the start of the marriage is not romantic at all. We we were in school and we couldn't afford to stay in the dorms anymore. But because she her relatives had moved, so she technically wasn't in state. The Jesuit University doesn't allow you to live outside of the dorms, which mm -hmm. sucks because they're expensive. Um, and I mean, again, we're like goal driven. We want this education. We want to better our lives. So I just asked her to marry me because like I'm always gonna, like, you know, she'd have to leave school to. Yeah you know and and so that's why we got married it, it was sort of a shotgun wedding in a way i got from the the school uh pressuring yeah. us into it but um we're still standing today so it's worked that's out. good so looking at going through all these careers and getting into youtube what was it like when you first got into youtube because you mentioned you were doing um call of duty stuff first before uh overwatch right that's the first thing I did at like long term. I did dabble in StarCraft commentary first. That's mm -hmm. the very first thing I did, but I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I did a horrible job. Like the I couldn't even get the video aspect ratio right. And and I didn't understand anything. And I didn't know how to speak. I didn't know I didn't know anything. So there there was a, a channel uh somewhere that has that content on it. I think I've also had another channel before that, now that I think about it, where I put like quirky um skits. That weren't good either on it mm -hmm. and so I, I dabbled on it a bit when i got into doing call of duty there were so many people that did call of duty commentaries and i was so passionate in the scene that i sort of was like well i can come in here and give my two cents and do a better job at least than like one of the worst guys that gets some views doing it um yeah. and you know i developed a small little community which is the personal channel that you had have researched um doing that so i did that um and that's that i like how you say small but now i'm just letting i don't know if you've looked at it like it has like 25k subs that is more than most people in like like a lot of scenes i mean it's not as good as your overwatch um, but it's still it's it's not unimpressive so yeah i i think any m most people who did Call of Duty YouTube got some views? You know what I mean. Yeah. Like the, the I, I, it's hard for me to describe it, especially if you haven't been um, from that generation. But yeah. the scene was so big, there was a hunger for people to to come yeah. out anyway. I mean, anyway. So I could get into a long conversation about all the things were back then. I, I think it's kind of boring, so I won't. But um, anyway, yeah. I, I think if you the, the beautiful thing about YouTube, if there is desire for the thing that you create. The, especially now, like it, it wasn't even this case back then, but now the algorithm really finds you, your audience. Yeah. So, it, and which is a beautiful thing and something that I miss when I go to other services like Netflix and I'm trying to scroll through stuff and I'm like, man, I think I you just, really like did you just comment on that too? I think you did. I think on your Twitter, did you comment or maybe it was yeah, someone I else did. too? It's, it's, it's pretty annoying, but like the algorithm on YouTube suggests you things similar to the things you like. And mm -hmm. works really well. Um, Netflix is just, you know, you know, I love stand up, I love documentaries, but there's just so much trash of both of that on Netflix, and it's so hard to wade through. Mm -hmm. Whereas on YouTube, you can't be that bad and exist, really. Like you, you can't 
you know, you, you, the algorithm just dismisses you as soon as the audience is like, yeah, next. So yeah, it's, it's one good thing about it. There's a lot of negatives, obviously, but mm -hmm. that's one good yes. thing. The algorithm is a very interesting beast to kind of get into. Uh, I, I definitely want to talk about that a little bit, a little bit because of my own wanting to know your opinions on it, considering you have done something successful and I'm slightly selfish, uh, but also because maybe other people want to know too. Before we get into that, um, what was the point that made you want to start up your Overwatch and what was the thought process behind bringing other people with you? And then uh, a third question on top of that, which we can break these down a little bit later too. Um, did, when you first started it, was there a business plan going into it? Yeah, I think I did say some of this earlier. Yeah, some of so it. Some of this will be a bit of a repeat, but um, so... As I said, we have all this experience of all of us doing YouTube yeah. casually, and we just wanted to see what we could accomplish if we tried to have a, a yeah a, combine our efforts, but also be disciplined and mm -hmm. treat it like um, a product that we're creating for so other people, not for when, ourselves. When you say that, what does that mean to other people? Because when people hear that, when you say be disciplined and treat it like a product, what are some of the ideas you went into it with saying, we're going to do this, this, and this? create things people want, not things we necessarily want to make. Because a lot of people's approach to YouTube, especially gaming, is like, well, this is me or what I'm interested in or my take or or whatever. And not to say I don't add parts of that into my content, but what I want is less important than what the audience wants, mm -hmm. for example. So like just, just like a big thing that Overwatch did um, the history of the game this, this aspect of it has died now but the cosmetic content was um something that fans just want to see they they want to see the new stuff as it comes out <laughs> and i'm the analytical nerd guy so like it like for example like it um i hope he wouldn't mind me saying it this way but like i've run channels previously that were much closer to like what svb does which svb is a friend of mine i love his content mm -hmm. but when you're that analytical and it's it's not um, as enjoyable of a entertainment product, or it's not as digestible. Yes. It's just going to relate to less people, right? And that's fine. You you, you know, I, again, I've I've made channels that are similar to that vein, and I enjoyed making that content. But what your Overwatch aimed to do is to try to um, make the best product that the community wants, which is somewhat not up to us, right? So we yeah. kind of have to let them influence that. And that was like, and we've. The thing is, we've changed the type of content we've made over the years pretty significantly based on responding to the state of the community, the pace of, of it uh, being made, et cetera. So mm -hmm. um, those were our goals going into it. And the reason why we wanted three people is because, you know, different perspectives, different personalities in case one was was like, we're all jerks to each other, like the three of us. And you probably even can tell just the way I'm talking, like very um straightforward and and yeah um you know blunt and and rude senses of humor but we wanted to try to take our personalities out of that and instead put a product that would relate to anybody and um and be helpful uh hopefully like when when the game first came out there was a lot of like guide videos out for example but they were guide videos in terms of the almost that you would get in a bad strategy guide where Tracer's Blink does this. Well, I, yeah. I don't care about that. Like, as a player, I want to know how does this interact with the game, right? And, and I invented the idea of the advanced guide, which 
eventually that term then everybody made advanced guides put, put advanced yeah. guides on everything yeah. but like that was kind of our thing um that we made that was like well here's a, a, a gameplay commentary that talks about those elements but in a way that uh should hopefully teach you the interactions and the complexities of the game rather than just simply what does these things do and and you know build out from there uh i mentioned in the mix of there like you know cosmetic videos that's not something that i would do for myself like i don't find that necessarily valuable to me but it's not up to what i want it, it's up to what the audience of the game cares about so in some ways we we gear it towards them and mm -hmm. you know some people have different perspectives on this you say well um you should only do what makes you happy but i, I think that has a uh, a rather selfish um a mindset and it's fine again it's sort of like working those old jobs that i had and how happy it was being uh yeah. not having to answer anybody but if if you want to make the content that the community cares about you have to let them sort of decide for you in in, in some ways what your what your goals are and i mean i say that and then i still make stuff that i think no like i want the community to know this and i don't care what they think like, i still that's, make tons of content like that that's just who i am like i'm an irreverent that's, person that's but, how I, re I relate to that because that's exactly what this show was like 100 percent. like this show is content that blake wanted to see out there and I'm going to shove it down. And like, if if not many people watch it, I don't care because I enjoy doing it. I'm actually working on other content that I'm hoping people will find way more enjoyable that will be actually tailored towards like all of that kind of stuff in order to hopefully bring eyes to content like this. Because I think that this content is important for me in like a, a moral way, especially with like, uh, which sounds weird, but like getting what are people like who are actually involved in the scene rather than a like high pedestal PR thing that you always see with people, um, especially like players and coaches and stuff like that. You only ever see the positives. You never see like, well, what stuff actually happened to them? So uh, I will fully admit that this show is exactly what we were talking about. Those people who do things that are not exactly tailored for them. This is what this is. So, and I, I, I think that that's highly respectable though, being able to go out there and say like, okay, I'm going to make content that they want to watch. I don't think that's wrong at all. Uh, and when you mentioned doing something that you want to do i think you should do something that is sustainable uh, i think that's maybe a more important thing and that's when people say you should do something you want to do what they really mean is you should do something that's actually sustainable so yeah, luckily i love the game right yeah. <laughs> like that that helps um and i love shooter games and strategy and and so many of those things so it's not like you know um it's purely cynical or anything i yeah. mean for example eddie and liam can't stand the game anymore and that's why they're barely on the channel because they don't want to cover the game they don't want to play it they don't they just they just don't want to and and luckily that you know i'm still hanging around fighting the good fight being patient with it um that i can i can put up with that but you know so there there is uh, uh constraints to this to some degree but you know it essentially the, the message that i would have to to creators then is just is just to remember that there's different ways you can go about it. You can have yeah. a personal centered content, which is like usually streamers, you would say, are are very um, it's about them as a character. Or you can have the our approach, which is more about uh, creating a product. And there's a lot of channels that succeed doing this, right? Which yeah. they have a very professional presentation. We are a mix, uh, really, because we're not that clean in terms of like how everything's structured. It's it's loose. Like I, I said earlier, I, I don't script. I, yeah. I try to find a, a thing I can rant and riff on and then clean it up afterwards. But 
Um, so, so your guys is going into this. Did you have like business papers signed up, being like, okay, this is the way that we're going to do this? Because that that business aspect is something that you see. Like, you want to talk about like major drama over like like YouTube channels. It has definitely happened where there's been a split between people, um, and they haven't had agreements in place, and you it just ends up being a huge like clusterfuck. Um, did you guys make sure to set some stuff in place to kind of because you mentioned no one else is there? Are are you just like, oh, hey, it's no, we're, we're equally screwed if something if we if we have a falling out yeah no we're 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 we're, luckily though like we keep each other honest and Mm -hmm. we're we're brothers in a way so Mm -hmm. like you know we we we're used to disagreeing normally which is another reason why the channel is so successful so like um as we said we have a business mind to things um that also keeps our content improving because we're Mm -hmm. constantly criticizing each other and and trying to improve one another and getting the best out of each other and it 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 has sort of a band atmosphere right where i always was more of the hardcore player mindset and then liam would always try to bring me down to earth and like okay what does the casual player care about and and eddie's sort of a mix between the two and, and a bit more flexible and between us we we would have um tension all the time in the creation process so we're used to arguing no matter what so um even when we we do have disagreements about things like we're just um functionally um uh, uh accustomed to to that so um we've been able to flex um the way we have everything structured without much um that's, kind of, that's pretty impressive actually so do you guys all edit your own videos and then decide to upload what does the process look like for your Overwatch when you guys were all there because you mentioned right now you're pretty much doing it uh all of the content on there currently except for some of the stuff for blizzcon um so but like what it, what did it look like when the three of you were working on the channel was it one person's going to mostly handle like editing and stuff like that and one's going to handle like ideas and scripts like what did you all just do your own videos and upload them like what did that look like we would divide work freely as it as it came up usually mm-hmm. one person would handle their video but like because i was much more invested in the game you probably would call me more head a head writer so a lot of mm-hmm. the ideas or like the, the outlines of what we wanted to say about a video um would go through me and i didn't like doing thumbnails so i had liam and eddie do that a bit more so there's mm-hmm. sort of a, a mix of division of labor but as the game slowed down as well as the interest of my colleagues <laughs> dropped because they, they, they the, yeah. the game's frustrating and it's, it's, it's a, a hard game to love, it, it, especially if you want to dedicate it on like a hardcore level. Um, uh, that, that, you know, we just sort of, it, it ended up me being the one who, who took over. So that, that's how it worked. I mean, and, and if you were doing this as a real business, then you probably would have like stages of production, but the way yeah. YouTube works, you, you need to be much more fluid than that. Like everyone needs to be able to do everything at any point because of, of like the timing of how things work. You can't really afford to have the production slowed down for yeah. the, the guy who does this to, you know, on the assembly line to put it together. So we all could do everything. Um, but our strengths would kind of uh, collaborate at different points. Mm-hmm. So, how did you get to a transition where you were just running everything? And what did that conversation go like? Because that's got to be interesting, especially if you're still doing. Let's say you had all equal shares of a company, and then two, two, two of the owners are like, "Oh, we're gonna mostly step out now," and you're doing all the work. Like, how did how did you guys come to a conclusion of like, oh, okay, um, we're still gonna just do equal splits because that's what we had said? Because uh, obviously you work full time, but you're doing all the work on the channel. How do you get to that point? Because that's that's almost where that divide gets very interesting. 
Yeah, it does get interesting. I don't know if I'm going to get into all the business aspects here today of, of how we decided to split this up. I mean, right now, Eddie is handling the stream. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a stream on Facebook where we're partnered with them to, to stream there. And um, which they, he's doing mostly Destiny now, I believe. Like Liam did that for a while. And then Eddie. So we, we've we've mixed up responsibilities as we saw fit okay um there was a period of time where eddie for like a whole year it was me and eddie on the channel and liam handled the facebook stream and then they swapped places for a few months where liam came back and helped me with the channel and eddie did the stream um but now the game um is kind of slowing down again and um we're sort of just working towards another thing. We have another project that we want to make as well, another channel that we're interested in creating and we're still okay. doing the stream. So like like Eddie's moving right now um, to a new location. Um, and during that time, Liam's doing the stream. So they're sort of handing off things over there. That makes sense. Though. Handling your Overwatch. But we're going to have a full team channel again soon. Okay, so I was going to ask you, uh, you mentioned Overwatch is slowing down and there's been lots of issues with Overwatch. I would say that uh, BlizzCon's uh, Overwatch 2 announcement was very lackluster in comparison to anything that like Riot announced, but I was originally a League of Legends fanboy, so that could be why I think that. Um, but kind of looking at the slowdown of Overwatch, is that something that like terrifies you as a concept? Like you, your livelihood has been on this, um, or are you just looking to, like in the future, you know that you're probably gonna have to switch to some sort of game in the future. Are you planning for that? Like what's your thought process about Overwatch slowing down? Well, we're definitely planning on swapping to other games and expanding, as I said. So there's that channel, but New games are always coming and, and new opportunities around the corner either to create new channels on or to adapt mm -hmm. to the channel that we have, your Overwatch. Like if it, if it got truly dead and we had a switch over to Project Day, maybe we would try that. I, I don't know. I, I'm not too worried about it because I think um, there's enough to worry about day by day anyway, <laughs> just in life and create. Yeah. Like I'm worried about creating the next video that isn't shit. So like I just want to keep making good stuff and hopefully people um, respond to it well. and. Um, luckily that has put us in a position where as long as Overwatch is still around, our channel will still get some views because we've already scaled down, right? So like, even if there's not much more scaling down, we would feel mm -hmm. we need to do, you know, like we used to upload daily for a long time at, a, and you kind of asked this earlier why we wanted three people, like the, the quality level I wanted to put out into the channel was something I knew I couldn't do alone. Uh, not yeah. just the personality mixes, but because I wanted to be able to do guides and then also like current stuff. I wanted to do everything. And normally uh, individuals are just struggle to be able to do that by themselves. It's just not possible. Like, um, which is another reason why I can't upload every day now, because I, I want to spend time to actually contemplate thoughts or get enough clips for a certain video that makes it actually good rather than just sort of rushing out the first uh, thing that uh, comes to mind. But um, so anyway, luck luckily, they're going to keep adding stuff to the game. So I don't think the game's going anywhere health wise. But um, in terms of like existing or being able to make any content, like it's not like the servers are turning off. Right. Yeah. So I'm not too worried. Also, the uh, being able to do this full time as a gift from the, the the luck of the universe. Basically, I don't feel that I'm um, owed it you know i had many years of uh, of living very differently than i um now um 
So I'm sort of just taking it day by day, right? Like, I, I don't think there's any point to worry necessarily other than yeah. to the point where like it gets maybe motivated to try another thing. So, and that's what we'll do. We're going to, we're going to make another channel that's going to, we, we think it's gonna be gaming related and it's, it'll be a team channel, but about all games um, mm -hmm. and, and, and try to do that. And then maybe I worked with other things uh, currently right now. My new thing is I've been training up an editor to help me with your overwatch so that I have a bit more time to try to do other things. So uh, there's always fires in the, um, or coals in the fire, however that goes, yeah. kind of kind of burning to try to work towards the next thing. And if it doesn't work out, like that's just the way <laughs> life goes. Like it, it better pick up a broom, I guess, is my my next um project. Uh, you know, at a regular job or something. So I don't know. Interesting. Okay. Um. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about the algorithm and what are your thoughts on the algorithm and how people should approach the algorithm? Because I think the algorithm for YouTube is very important. There is a way to figure out like. Like to utilize the algorithm for your content, and you should probably do that. Um, otherwise, you end up with content that just is not going to be sane, kind of like you were talking about earlier. That you need to be able to utilize. What is your approach looking at the algorithm and figuring it out, and what you need to make around it? Well, luckily, I would say when you have built a your Overwatch, then the algorithm isn't like in in my um, view constantly because Overwatch as a scene is so small. Yeah, that like we there's not really like. Let me explain this a different way. When the game first came out, there was way more content creators, like I would say three times more, maybe like our yeah. buddy Force Gaming, who's an awesome guy. We got to see him at BlizzCon. I love meeting up with him. But like he made Overwatch videos at the time. There was a, a guy named Lone Hawk who made um, videos talking about the game. And um, uh, we were able to to meet him online as well. But and many, many more that have since stopped. And back then, when the game was, like, surging, then the algorithm mattered. Then, then like, there was a lot of space for you to jump in um, and ride the wave of interest in order to, to kind of catch on. Yeah. Now the game is, like, in a stasis or management point where, um, which is another reason why we've slowed down uh, creating content, where there just isn't a drive to see content constantly. So I felt it was important not to shove content in people's face that they're not interested in and to instead um, take it at the pace of what the community cares about. Um, so to that degree, I like I can't jam content into the algorithm that people don't want. That's what I think that's the, the number one tip that I have for anybody who's trying to figure this out where. The algorithm, a lot of people blame the algorithm for things, yeah. but really it's a representation of human beings making decisions, okay? It's very important that the the thing that goes on that page, I spoke about Steve Jobs earlier, and I'm not even, I'm not even an Apple fan, but I don't know why he's coming up in conversation so much today, but like the UX or the, or which one is it? The user interface, user UI. Interface what's the other one where's the, the like the human experience there's one i can't remember what it's uh, called it's like ux but there's another anyway the, not important um yeah the experience of that of someone uh working with the algorithm is like google or youtube learns about what that account is interested in and just based on your choices alone and the pathways you go down it gets you into almost infinite sub communities and because of that if if you can get into that track of what people care about, um, then you can be in the conversation of the algorithm. Now that's mm -hmm. step one. 
But more importantly, a step two is that the people who click your videos enjoy them enough to keep watching. This is the beautiful thing about the algorithm where watch time matters, which means you people think like, well, it's all clickbait. Years and years ago, maybe, where there was like reply girls that had, you know, low cut yeah. tops on and it's like, here's a viral video. I'm hot. Click me like that. That literally was what YouTube was that the, the Zoomers these days, kids these days, they don't actually know what clickbait is. They just toss that term out all the time. But click what I'll tell you what clickbait isn't. It isn't where you present something interesting and someone gets interested and watches most, if not all, the video. Like that's just YouTube, okay? Like I, that's marketing 101. Yeah. Um, and that, if you can do that, if you get get someone to be interested, to click and stay, um, which I think is what why quality is important is um, is that. And we strive to make um, a very high quality product in that we're our attention to detail is is kind of um, higher than what you see in most places um, in our community or in many communities, uh, even mm -hmm. like. Other games like I was just playing Hearthstone before I joined, right? Like Hearthstone's a very streamer esque game where the content on YouTube that you find is like stream clips mostly. Whereas yeah. uh, in our community with Overwatch, the stream community is like dying, unfortunately, which is sad yeah. for me to see. But it's partially because of the state of the game and ranks not very fun, and um, unless it's a good meta or you know you get lucky and you have many good teammates in a row or whatever. But um, so because of that. I think uh, your Overwatch type channel is easy to follow because a lot of people have passing interest in Overwatch, but they don't dedicate play the game all the time and they're not trying to learn the game like they used to. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately for me, and I love teaching the game, but like that's taking a smaller percentage of my attention. I still try to do it um, and dedicate time to it, but less and less people are interested in learning the game because there's just less new players and there's more of a backlog of people who are interested in it as a as a community. So um, that's partially what our strategy is with the channel currently. But if ranked gets fixed tomorrow or the sick new patch comes out, you better bet that I'm going to come in and yeah. explain the new meta and how you can hopefully learn this new patch. And then when it gets stale again, then I might go back to <laughs> more approachable content for anybody. So anyway, my, my point is, that's where you, I think a, a creator should have their brain at with this, where um, it's easier as well when you're, you have the business sense of it, where it's, it should be your job to figure out what the community cares about in that sub community, whatever it is. It can be any game. It can be lumberjack, you know, yeah. <laughs> tools or whatever, right? Like there's, it's crazy how the algorithm works where, where, where the, in every community, the, the, if people want to see that thing, it will go through the algorithm and get to the audience that is trying to find it, if it's good. Yes, yes. So kind of one of the things I want to ask you about, because you actually mentioned this analytical side that you're you're so kind of passionate about, that you're passionate about the analytics. Do you ever, like you comment, uh, I would say a fair amount on like the state of the game and different issues in the game. I've definitely seen you and Sumito have back and forth, I would say, on, on different aspects. Yeah. Um, I've definitely heard people in the pro scene who have said, oh, your Overwatch doesn't know what they're talking about. They're not involved with the pro scene. How do you kind of get that in your head that you have a place here and that you are as intelligent as some of these other people and you have a right to kind of say that, listen, this is how this, this, the game should be changed? Yeah, I, not involved in the pro scene. They're right. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't have any affiliation with the pro scene other than um, a goal of trying to get casuals interested in it. So, mm -hmm. like that's that's my approach. And in fact, over time, I've gotten more and more um, 
focused on how things affect the average player. And that's actually a very difficult task and dance to do because Overwatch being such a complicated game, there is um, different ramifications of a patch and changes new heroes uh, at every level of play. And to some degree, a little secret for the pro community, nobody really cares what you're playing. They care about what they're playing, the, the average player. So, you know, uh, to say that not qualified in order to, to, to say anything, I mean, the thing is, there's so many people in the pro community that say similar things or have similar types of opinions, maybe even the opposite direction, but then they get proved wrong or they're incorrect yeah. or like just an example, right? In Overwatch League, which I assume you watch, there was a prevailing thought that Somber Goats was bad. Yes. Okay. Everyone thought this, right? Everyone knew that this was true. Somber Goats is bad. It's just not as good. Wait, then they realize that if they pocket the Sombra instead so that the Diva can't flush her out, then the Sombra becomes this raid boss character that farms EMP really quick, and it's actually the best. Oh my god, right? And these things happen, okay? So the the conversation of this is an ongoing dialogue that you should expect to learn along the way. So nobody yeah. knows Overwatch ever. It's always a conversation and a learning process, and I'm just one voice of many. So I think angers people is that when someone has a platform bigger than their own there's a lot of envy and jealousy and sort of like you know i stream the game 20 hours a day as a pro player i know everything why do why does he have an audience and i don't yeah. well it, there's a lot of reasons for that and maybe it, it's because like you're appealing to this 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 super sub category of of uh of um viewer and because of that well you know, you can be in your little sub community, your sub 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 community of of people on Reddit who upvote each other on the same opinions with groupthink. But I'm instead trying to have um, an interesting dialogue with the type of people that um, usually watch content but don't comment on it. That's the interesting thing with YouTube as well, where a lot of people they get wrapped up in like, um, you know, the Twitterverse or Reddit yeah. or whatever not realizing that the actual audience of the game doesn't know anything about any of that. Like that's like 0.00001% of people, yeah. even on a comment, uh, even with comments on our own channel. I mean, it's like less than 0.01% of people who watch leave a comment. So it's just really think that like, you know, it, another thing about being a YouTuber, I think it, it you know, it, to do it well anyway, is to really know the person that isn't saying anything, right? The silent majority and, and to speak to them. So anyway, um, how, how, who gives, what gives me the right to, to speak on the meta or anything? Well, I, I, hopefully I only speak, I speak on it in terms of a player of the game. So that's mm -hmm. the standpoint. I, I don't really try to, to step in and tell what the pros should do. I try to learn from what the pros are doing and, and expand it. But at the end of the day, it's just one guy's opinion. So I like that. Yeah. So, believe it or not, I only have one more question for you. Um, it's arguably the hardest or easiest. I really like the answers. I'm sorry for throwing you on the seat. I just have to. Like, I have to ask because I've heard it, and I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. I think anyone should be able to talk about their opinions. If they're wrong, you can prove them wrong. If they're not, then kind of whatever. Uh, my last question for you, arguably the hardest question of the night, depending on who you are. Um, you've had the experience being on the show. It gets kind of personal and fun. I hope you enjoyed your time. If you didn't, I'm sorry. You've already been on here, so guess what? It's fucking too late. Um, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the time. Um, that being said, if you could see 
anyone be on the show. The only criteria is they have to speak English and they have to be involved in either YouTube, streaming, esports in some capacity. Who would you like to see on the show? 100%, I would say Jane. I think he his I really miss him as a content creator in the scene. It sucks that we get so many player well, it's kind of cool that we get some of the pro players come back to streaming, but like as much as I like people succeeding and getting on and getting in the Overwatch League, I, I feel like we really lost the greatest content creator we had in in Jane. And mm -hmm. uh, any anytime I get to see more content from him, it makes me happy. I look up to that guy a lot. Okay, I think that's a good one. So thank you so much for being on the show. If you want to give any shout outs, you're more than welcome to. Uh, throw them out now. If not, then uh, I'll cut us out of here. You can follow us on Twitter at Your Overwatch YT or Your Overwatch on YouTube. Check us out there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, Frida. I appreciate having you on here. For everyone out there, my name is Blake Panashevitz. This has been the Minds of Media, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.